from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Thursday night edition of the program. If you want to join us live on the phone, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, do you guys remember when they said the 2020 election was rigged? It was rigged, folks, right? Trump said it, then a bunch of other people said it, and they, they started these stop-the-steal rallies all over the place, the big one in Washington, D.C., and then he said, let's peacefully and patriotically walk over to the Capitol, let our voices be heard, all right? And they went over to the Capitol, then the whole J6 thing happened, right? But everybody said that, you know, Trump lost every case. You know, he's claiming election fraud, and it's this, that, and the other. Well, on Election Day, I'm sure you heard the stories. I didn't get into a ton of them. But there were a bunch of what they like to call glitches, right? When when it happens, it's a glitch. When Trump says it, it's fake, phony fraud, uh, where certain machines were, you know, if you voted yes, it was coming out as no on the ballot. And, you know, and, oh, we caught it in time. We're going to reverse it. We're going to fix it. Then there were these other stories about uh, we ran out of paper. I don't know how you run out of paper. And, again, some people might think, well, that's an innocent thing. It's somewhat innocuous, right? You run out of paper. More people came than expected. How does that happen? Right. If you're having a dinner party and you, you have a table that fits eight people and you invite four couples and you've got eight people. What are you going to do? Oh, I, I ran out of plates. Didn't you know eight people were coming? There's something called a voter roll. And um, somebody called a county clerk or a secretary of state. These people are in charge with the election commission and whatnot of making sure the voter rolls are clean. So if you know, I don't know. 700,000 people live in your county and you have a polling location that is going to service estimated, uh, I don't know, maybe 150,000 voters. You get, I don't know, 175,000 paper ballots. So you can put it through the machine and do what you got to do. I mean, unless they were overwhelmed with massive turnout, which I, that didn't happen. We know that didn't happen. Right? No, half, half of America didn't even know there was an election on Tuesday. So I bring this up to say people need to keep an open mind. I'm not trying to push a tinfoil hat conspiracy on anyone, but I am saying things happen. These machines are not as accurate as the old uh, one where you punched the number in with your finger and then you pull the lever and boom, you were done and it punched a card and it was inside the machine or whatever. Uh, it's not the case anymore. The hanging chads machines. Remember those? Uh, and I bring all of that up because Last year, a guy who I know, I met this guy when I used to work in Christian higher education. He was a big supporter of the uh, college I worked for. Uh, city Council President in Patterson, New Jersey, Alex Mendez. And uh, Alex Mendez, he, um, he was arrested last year and charged with potentially uh, or allegedly rigging an election. For himself. And the 
attorney general of the state of New Jersey has now brought additional charges against him. I want you to listen to this report. Mendez is facing a number of charges, including conspiracy to commit election fraud, forgery, falsifying records and witness tampering. Investigators accuse him, his wife and two others of stealing mail-in ballots back in 2020, filling some of them out and trying to use some to win. As the AG puts it, they tried to rig an election in their favor and to deprive the voters of Patterson of having their voices heard. Mendez has previously denied any wrongdoing. According to the complaint, a witness stated to a detective that the accused, who was then a candidate in the election for which mail-in ballots were issued, personally collected mail-in ballots from voters. The complaint continues, on or about May 4th, 2020, he and the accused collected mail-in ballots and then brought those mail-in ballots that they had collected together to the accused's campaign headquarters. From there, it alleges they drove to a mailbox in Haldon and deposited hundreds of ballots. Investigators also say Mendez is on an audio recording discussing a false story to tell if any person questioned him about the Haldon ballots. And they say he told others to delete communications about the voting fraud scheme. All right. So now this is um, if we think about the southern border for a second and you think, oh, you know, they caught this many people and they always talk about the gotaways. Right. They don't know anything about the gotaways other than, you know, this many people got away with this election fraud stuff. We know very, very well that this stuff happens. It's not like it doesn't happen. And if you paid attention to the report, what he did was he stole mail in ballots. Now, if, you, if you're one of the people that are on the fence, take a little time, find yourself a nice little rabbit hole to jump into. Years ago, and this has been going on in Texas forever. Now, obviously, if it's going on in Texas, it's going on everywhere. That's like saying they steal cars in Brooklyn, New York. Obviously, they steal cars everywhere. But it, some places more than others. Okay, granted, I'll bite on that. So in Texas, and I'm all over the place here, but I'm trying to make a, a point here. They have these people called politiqueras. And the politiqueras are typically women that are very politically connected. And what they do is they buy ballots. And they have a group, a network of people who, when it's election time, they go and they go, hey, I need you to vote for so-and-so. And they give them like $5 a vote or something like that or, or whatever they do. And then someone, some campaign or some middle person who wants to engage in corruption will tell them, I need 500 votes for this candidate. And they'll go out and literally pay people to get their votes. It's completely illegal. And they also steal ballots from, from mail trucks and fill them out themselves and uh, mail-in ballots and stuff like that. that. That's been going on forever pre-Trump. And the FBI has been on to it. They, they consistently and repeatedly arrest people for this all the time. So now, election fraud is a thing. Now, I live about 15 minutes away in Bergen County from Patterson, which is in Passaic County. And they now have an unidentified state's witness with the attorney general's office in the state of New Jersey who says he accompanied council president Alex Mendez, who was running uh, for city council at the time, and illegally collected mail-in ballots from voters, according to court records in the uh, new election fraud charges that were filed against Mendez about a week ago. This is in addition to the charges that were brought against him in 2021 when they originally caught him. So here we are three years removed from the set election. And voila, they're finding more and more. Now, this unnamed witness told detectives 
that he and Councilman Mendez took the ballots to the candidates headquarters and the two of them went with campaign chairman, uh, Chairman uh, Omar Ledesma, to drop off more than 300 illegally collected ballots at a mailbox in Haleden, New Jersey. And you heard that in the report. Councilman Mendez's trip to Hilden in a car owned by his wife was captured on video by a surveillance camera. Now, that almost sounds like a scene right out of Dinesh D'Souza's movie, 2000 Mules. <laughs> anyway, long story short here, um, the guy's gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. There's video and everything. Not good. Now, what, what I was saying about the border is the same thing here. Do you think this is the only politician who uh, is a Democrat, by the way, running in a nonpartisan election because it's a municipal election and they, they're nonpartisan. But do you think this is the only politician anywhere that's doing ballot stuffing with mail-in ballots? Of course not. So when people say, oh, there was fraud, but it's isolated. There was no, no evidence of massive, wide-scale fraud. How would you know? How would you know if you didn't look? How would you know if when we, we catch this guy... We're only catching it three years after the fact. And how would you know if when Trump says they stole the election, that somehow nobody looked at it? Judges wouldn't take the cases. The FBI didn't look into it. Bill Barr was like, nah, nah, there's nothing to see here, folks. Keep it moving. There's no way you would know because nobody's looking, except for Dinesh D'Souza and his film, 2000 Mules. And we talked about that when we had him on. We're actually going to have him on again because we had him on a twice already to talk about the police state movie. And now he's got some new challenges with police state movie where Walmart has been refusing to distribute the film. Why? I don't know, but he's going to explain it all to us straight ahead. Folks, if you want to chime in on that conversation, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. And uh, earlier we were talking about ballot stuffing in New Jersey, and then a week ago there was a case of ballot stuffing in Connecticut. And... Uh, I was just talking about Dinesh D'Souza and his, uh, his last film, uh, 2000 Mules, and it reminded me that last, I think it was last Wednesday, we had uh, a replay of our interview with Dinesh D'Souza talking about his new film, Police State, and in that interview, he was just teasing the film. Since the film has come out, I was uh, privileged to join Dinesh at the red carpet premiere at Mar-a-Lago last Wednesday uh, for this film, Police State, and it was a phenomenal film. I mean, when you talk about... The, the musical score, the, um, the the content of the film, the cinematography, the, the quality of it, just a fantastic film, not to mention the content of it. Excellent interviews, uh, really well done documentary. And it, um, it, it was a hit, in my opinion. And um, I, I got a note from Dinesh that now Walmart is playing games with the distribution of the DVD of the film, so uh, we've invited Dinesh D'Souza to come back and join the program to tell us all about what's going on with Police State. Dinesh D'Souza, welcome back. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. Great to be back. You bet. So what is um, the story? What's going on now with uh, the film Police State? Well, you'll be kind of amazed about this, but I, I suppose one should not be totally surprised. You make a film called Police State. You say the country is moving toward a police state. And if that's true, you should see some signs of it in the reaction to the film. So about a week after the film opens, um, the FBI pays a visit to our web designer. It's a female agent. She just leaves a card, just says basically, contact me immediately. So this is not a guy on our film team. It's an independent guy. But he's this kind of like freaked out. a graphic out. designer? A graphic designer for your... No, the web guy, the website guy. Oh, the the web guy, guy who's okay. managing our website gets a visit from the FBI. So they're obviously tracing the website to figure out, like, who's running the server. And, like, let's go threaten that guy, you know? <laughs> so... So they start with that. In any case, we approach the FBI and go, what's up, guys? And they act like nothing's up. They're like, oh, well, no, no, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not uh, intimidating the film, nothing at all. And then what happens is I send <laughs> a wire. Actually, sorry? I said it's like they stop by to say hello. They stop by to say hello. And then my wife, Debbie, sends a wire from the film to Salem Media. This is to purchase advertising. The wire's for $106,000. And guess what? It's intercepted by the Biden Treasury Department. There's a division of the Treasury Department called OFAC, which is the Office of Foreign Assets Control. And if you look it up, it's an agency that's intended to stop um, international narcotics, international terrorism, and also like countries that are under sanction by the U.S. government. Now, we have nothing to do with any of that. We're sending a domestic wire from our bank to Wells Fargo, the Salem Bank, and yet the Biden Treasury Department freezes the money. They take it out of our account, but they hold it. Yeah. And again, you know, we're freaked out about this because we're like, what the heck? How can they just seize our money like that for no reason? And so we, I have a friend at Newsweek who calls, calls up the OFAC people, goes, what's up? Can you give an explanation for why you've taken this money? And then quietly, without saying a word, without returning the phone call, they put the money back in our account. So that's incident number two. And then, of course, you mentioned Walmart and Amazon. We've, you know, we've sold products with Walmart and Amazon before. No problem. Neither of them will sell our DVDs. Really strange. I mean, this is not a banned topic. I can advertise it on YouTube or Facebook. No one has even intimated or alleged that any fact in the film is incorrect. So there have been no negative, <coughs> negative right. fact checks on the film. And, and Dinesh, I just want to clarify that this is like your 10th film, right? Oh, yeah. And this is, well, this is film number seven. And, number seven. you know, and I've sold so many. In the so past. they can't say it's not selling because we right. packed the theaters with the film. But I'm saying you've sold them before on Amazon. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I think, again, the question arises, like, is somebody from the government, like, contacting these companies and saying, in effect, look, we'd rather you not sell this film. This is, like, <coughs> damaging to the government. Because when we look at the police state, and this is depicted in the film, it's an octopus stretching across the public and the private sector. So it's not like the government is above going to digital platforms or it's above going to private corporations and instructing them as to what to do and using the government's leverage on these companies to intimidate them and to get them to do the Biden regime's bidding. So think of it. This is all classic like police state tactics and we're feeling it. Crazy. Crazy uh, stuff. Mean 
I, I really, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, you make a movie about this topic and they go ahead and uh, kind of take the bait. It's almost like they want to pound on their chest a little bit. Say, oh, you want to talk about us? We'll show you how much police state power we have. You know, even if it's just to like pull your leg a little bit here. So w what are you doing uh, in addition to, you know, letting everybody know about it? Are you taking legal action? Are you going to sue them? How does this work? Yeah, so there's a fellow in the film, you probably remember him, he's John O'Connor. He's a very prominent lawyer and federal, yeah. former federal prosecutor. So I called up John and I said, look, you know, basically the Biden administration has taken our money and sure they might give it back to us six months from now, but we need it now because we're paying for advertising to promote our streaming, to promote our DVDs. And he goes, you know, this is how they mess with you. He goes, look, I guarantee you'll get the money back, but I can't tell you when. And then when I told him that they had put the money back in our account, he goes, that is extremely unusual. It's probably just because they got media inquiries. They didn't want to have to explain why they took our money. It appears too blatant a corroboration of the theme of the movie. Right. So they were like, okay, fine. They backed off in this particular case. But it really shows you that when, when you have these police state tactics, even if you're an ordinary individual or whether you're a small company like ours, you have to push back. You cannot just let it happen to you because if you let it happen to you, and that's what happened with a lot of these January 6th guys, is they trusted the cops. Like, they're like, I'll talk to the FBI. I'll clear it up. You know, these are good guys. Let me just explain. It'll all be, it'll all be cleared up. I'll be able to go home. No. When these guys come to your door, they're coming to trap you, to pin it on you. They don't want to. The only reason they're talking to you is to get information that they can use against you. And so, in, unfortunately, in America, Rich, we've reached a point where we have to treat our public institutions with extreme suspicion. This is absolutely, uh, I mean, it's, again, disappointing, but not surprising, but, but still like, wow. Now, uh, Dinesh, it, it's, it seems to me eerily similar to the New York Post article about the Hunter Biden laptop, where they went, they did everything they could, and they went crazy to try and suppress the story. So here you have this film, it's catching on, people like it, and voila, let's, let's put the kibosh on it however we can without looking like government censors but being government censors. And I have to tell you, um, I brought my uh, girlfriend to the premiere, and uh, she's a very apolitical person, probably more liberal than anything. Uh, and she left saying, fascinating film. She was really moved by it and was uh, really surprised at how much of that is actually happening. Folks, we're on with Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, he's explaining to us how the police state is coming after his film, Police State. We're going to come right back with him. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez with Dinesh D'Souza. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. 
we want the subject to be on display. Doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. That is a clip of the trailer for the film Police State um, by uh, Dan Bongino and, of course, Dinesh D'Souza, who's with us now. And uh, Dinesh was just explaining to us about how the federal government has just come after him on two separate uh, instances uh, with a, a personal visit from the FBI to the web designer, and then the the seizing of funds, which were then subsequently released after some media scrutiny. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, welcome back. I want to um, make sure that we've got the story right and to see where you anticipate this going from here. Uh, are they continuing to mess with you? Do you think they're going to continue to mess with you? What's the current status? happens they try to strike when they can do the most damage so i think they calculated that look this is the film it's in its red hot stage it's just going from the theaters to streaming to dvds we also get these cyber attacks on our website now again i don't i'm not saying those come from the government necessarily one of our ticketing agencies said to us these attacks are coming from india and pakistan and i was like wait I mean, obviously, this is not the Indians and Pakistanis are really upset that I made a film. No, this has obviously been contracted out by some group in America to do a cyber attack on our website. So, look, I mean, the best solution ultimately, I think, is for us to build a parallel economy. You know, we're offering DVDs from Salem and Shopify. All the information is on our website, which is policestatefilm.net. So watching the film, sharing the film, getting DVDs and giving them for Christmas, I mean, this is the best way to teach these people a lesson because ultimately selling DVDs is about commerce. And so Amazon shuts us down, that's fine. We'll sell our DVDs some other way that we can't force them to hold. And if we ask them, what's really interesting in all these cases is you never get an explanation. Hey, Amazon, why won't you stock our DVDs? Dead silence. Uh, hey, Walmart, you used to be a conservative company out of Bentonville, Arkansas, the original uh, Walton family, extremely conservative. What happened? Dead silence. So, you know, this is just our predicament in the country today where you make a film called Police State and you're, you're sort of confirmed a little bit at every junction. It's really, it's, you know, I want to say it's outrageous, but it, it seems like it's par for the course now. You know, no matter what you do, uh, if, if you go against the deep state, the administrative state, the federal bureaucracy, one way or another, if they feel threatened, they're going to come after you. And I used to think it was just like the regime in charge. Uh, but we saw with the Trump administration that really wasn't the case. Right. It wasn't it had nothing to do with Trump didn't weaponize uh, the the police powers of the state. Uh, they did it against him while he was a president. So I guess it comes to the, the overall theme of the film. And if anybody hasn't seen this film, you should. Do we get away from this, Dinesh D'Souza? I feel like it's just like an ongoing problem that we just have to learn how to manage because I don't think there's ever, there's ever going to be an end to it. 
Well, here's why we are in a difficult uh, mess. And it's not even because of the aggression that is coming from the left. It's because of the sheer invertebrate reaction from the right. Uh, case in point, just in the last couple of days, 70 of the House Republicans voted for a $300 million new FBI central complex in Washington, D.C. Think about that. This isn't one or two Republicans. It's 70. And this is after the FBI recently divulged to Newsweek that they're creating a new category of MAGA Republicans to be surveilled, scrutinized, followed, and monitored as if they're domestic terrorists or potential domestic terrorists. And so you think Republicans who are the target of the police state would be like, okay, guess what? We control the appropriations process. All bills originate in the House. You're not getting a penny of the $300 million. You better reform your practices. But no. So, you know, this is when I'm reduced to a kind of sputtering helplessness because it seems to me that when somebody's raiding your house and you're telling them, come right in and I'll help you buy the ammunition and the bulletproof vest and then the battering ram to come through my front door, that's the problem right there. What does an average American, what do the listeners to this program do to combat this? Well, I think the most important thing is, look, I'm not saying that all the Republicans, you know, some people think all these Republicans are bought and paid for. They're all part of the swamp. And some of them are bought and paid for. And some of them are, in fact, too happy drinking at the swamp. But a lot of others just don't realize that this is the America they're living in now. They live in a kind of insulated world. And so just helping me get the message of this film out is like vitally important because it seems to me a lot of our own team, our own side, is a little bit like the antelope that's kind of happily grazing. And if you tell them about the police state, it doesn't work because it's like me coming and telling you about India. This is what it's like. You're like, huh, yeah, okay, fine. But it's completely different if I say, listen, Come over here. This is a video. This was my house. That's me sitting over there. That's the school I went to. You can look it. You can smell it. You can feel it. So a movie can bring that all home to you, just like you mentioned for your girlfriend. It brings the reality of the police state experientially to people. And so I just ask your audience, check out the movie, experience it, share it. <clears throat> and that alone will do a lot to wake up people to the fact that this is not a normal situation. Yeah, we antelopes can keep grazing, but there is, in fact, a presence editor behind the trees, we need to take some protective action. Folks, we're on with Dinesh D'Souza. He's uh, the filmmaker behind Police State, uh, the film, and it's, uh, I highly recommend it. Excellent film. I know some people were able to see it on Rumble. Others are going to be purchasing the DVD, and um, we're coming right back with Dinesh. I want to get a little bit of some of the behind the scenes, some of the stuff that uh, you probably haven't uh, heard about yet. So stick around. We're coming right back. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Dinesh D'Souza. And Dinesh, I want uh, you to share a couple of things that uh, 
happened in the making of the film that maybe some of us haven't heard about, funny or otherwise interesting? Well, when I set out to make the film, I wanted to have two kinds of people in it. Um, one is informants, whistleblowers, people who are familiar with the kind of genealogy, the origins and the architecture and the organization of the police state. And so there's a lot of that in the film. It's kind of people with inside knowledge. And it's another reason I wanted to team up with Bongino, because he's a former cop. He's a former Secret Service agent. So he's a guy who has some knowledge of the police state. And the other kind of person I wanted in the film is a lot of ordinary people, people just going through the normal business of life, and yet they find themselves face-to-face with the police state. So here's a, a kind of a small detail that really struck me, and I'm not even giving like an outrageous, emotional, tear-jerking example. It's just a simple example. But um, the government today, the, uh, the air marshals, are following people who went to Washington, D.C. between January 3rd and January 7th of 2021. Now, here's the interesting thing. It would be one thing if they said, all right, well, let's identify the people who went inside the Capitol. Those guys are a little dangerous. But no, they've got off the airline manifest, they've picked up lists of people who went to D.C. for any reason. You didn't even have to go to the rally. If you went to D.C. for a real estate convention or to meet your dad is because you spend weekends with your dad, you're on a terror watch list. And to this day, there are air traffic marshals, air marshals following you when you travel. Uh, if you go to meet wow. your dad and he brings his brother along, that guy could end up on a list. Now, there's a certain kind of madness to this. And one of the questions I posed is like, don't these air marshals feel silly following some 10-year-old kid around? And the answer is, you know what, they do feel silly, but the agency likes it because they just keep adding the numbers up. And they then go and tell Congress, oh, we're following 3,700 potential domestic terrorists around the country. There's a real threat to the homeland. And Congress is like, okay, well, let's shovel a bunch of more money to the air marshals. And so the air marshals get to be part of this massive anti-terror operation, even though the whole thing is preposterous. It's a joke. They know that these people are not terrorist risks at all. But they are doing it basically as a racket, and it's a racket on the U.S. taxpayer, which is to say on you and me. Yeah. You know, what I think, and I think you raise an excellent point, and um, it's so important just to circle back to something you said earlier about how the, the film affects people differently. And I think film it has that, uh, video has that appeal. Uh, it's very different than audio, radio, and podcasts. It has a different um, emotionality that goes along with it. And I remember when your film uh, Obama's America came out way back when. And was that the first one you did? Yes, it was. What, what inspired you to go from being an author and, and a pundit and commentator uh, to getting into film? You know, interestingly, Rich, I was hanging out with a friend of mine who happened to be a rich guy. This is a fellow who had founded a, a big uh, investment company called Ameritrade. His name is Joe Ricketts. He's a billionaire. And he said to me, Dinesh, I really like your book on Obama, and I'm going to buy a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal because I want it to reach more people. And so I told Mr. Ricketts, I go, Joe, please don't do that because it's going to cost you $50,000 and I'll sell 200 more books, but it's not going to be worth it. So don't do that. But he ignored me and he did it. And of course, I sold 200 copies. 
And then we met again, and he's like, well, Dinesh, you know, like, how do you reach more people? How do you reach a million people? And I go, well, a million people don't read a hardcover political book. If I'm going to reach a million people, I'm probably going to have to make a movie. Michael Moore made, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11. He dropped it in the middle of the 2004 campaign. He reached millions of people. So basically, Joe Ricketts is like, okay, Dinesh, you go find out what it's going to take to make a movie on this book you've written on Obama. And so I came back to him in two weeks and I go, well, Joe, I found out. I've asked a bunch of people. It's going to take about two and a half million dollars. So he goes, okay, here's a check for one hundred thousand dollars, Dinesh. Go find 24 24 other people to do the same thing and then Uh you can make your movie. So that's what I did. Wow. Sounds like a task, a really tall order. It was, and to be honest, I think the, the early investors who came in, you know, they had no idea this movie would do anything. They were like, okay, Dinesh, we like you. We think you're going to do a good job, and so let's just try it out. So uh, that was really my first film, and it was a big hit, and, of course, it paved the way for me to do subsequent films. And, of course, we've all learned a lot over the past seven films that we've done, so I think I can feel confident in saying that Police State is at a whole different level than some of the earlier films, just because I've learned a whole bunch of stuff over the past decade. What would you say some of the major takeaways that you've learned uh, in the filmmaking process are? Well, I would say that it's really uh, easy for the other side and really hard for our side. And this is why a lot of people who have tried to make films have not succeeded. Because if you're on the left, your job is super easy. If you're Michael Moore, you want to make a film, you go to a studio and you say, I have an idea to make a film about guns. And they go, here's $10 million, go make that film. And then Michael Moore makes the film, and then they go, okay, wonderful. On Monday, you're going to be on The View. On Tuesday, Stephen Colbert. On Wednesday, Bill Maher. On Thursday, you're going to be on ABC News. 60 Minutes is going to be ready for Sunday. So your path is like paved for you. On the conservative side, you need to have legal expertise. You need to raise money. You need to know how to make a film. And even if you can do all those things, you then have to have a big audience already so you can market the film. And if you fail at any one of those things, your film goes kaput. So that's the problem is you've got guys who have money, but they're not creative. They don't know how to make a film. The few people who have money and are creative don't have the marketing ability to get the film out there. So this is why the project of making films on the conservative side is, in fact, rolling the stone up the hill. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's poetic, right? It's like so many things on the conservative side is always uh, an uphill battle, (laughs) lamentably. Well, I mean, it's, it's an uphill mm-hmm. battle because the institutions are aligned against us. And instead right. of helping us, they're blocking us. And so in addition to the normal difficulties of starting a business, we're being thwarted at every turn. You know, so I try to buy ads on Facebook. They're like, no, can't do that. So then they try to like, you know, cyber attack on the website, uh, all this kind of stuff to thwart you. And um, and then even, you know, even on our own side, I mean, what we do is we count on people to help us, but a lot of them don't. I mean, Fox News has not said one word about police state. Dead silence about it. The RNC, zero help at all. Worse than, than helpless. So, again, think about it. If I was on the Democratic side, I made the exact same film. Let's just say I made a film, Police State, and the theme was that Trump is the dictator, the Republicans are trying to take away rights. I mean, the DNC would be all over this. Liberal billionaires would be calling for meetings with me about ways to get this message out. We have nothing like that on our side. Well, America, if you're listening to this and and you've ever seen one of Dinesh D'Souza's films, um, 
you know what I'm talking about. They're excellent. And if you haven't, then you have to get uh, uh, to watch the film. Dinesh, let everybody know how they can support your cause and uh, help America by watching one of your films and buying the DVD. Well, start with the new one, and the one-stop shop is the website. <laughs> it's policestatefilm.net. Not .com, policestatefilm.net. You'll see there are two or three options for streaming the film. You can stream it to any device, including your big screen TV. And then you can order DVDs from Salem or from Shopify. But go to policestatefilm.net, and your life will be very easy. Policestatefilm.net is where you go, policestatefilm.net. And give Dinesh D'Souza a follow on social media so you could stay up to speed with everything that he's doing. Dinesh, Godspeed to you. Keep up the great work. I appreciate it. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I'm grateful that you stayed up late to chat with us. Thank you so much. You bet. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. And uh, I tell you, a great movie, this police state. I really urge you to go check it out, policestatefilm.net. Not because I'm getting a commission, I'm not, uh, but because I think it was a great film and something that once you watch it, you're going to want to share it with somebody or have somebody else watch it because it lays things out so beautifully. You know, it's uh, imagine, I don't know, it's probably about a two hour movie and it kind of condenses, I don't know six months of listening to talk radio, you know, on that particular topic into a film with really good, um, with really good visuals. And uh, D'Souza was just talking about uh, an article in Newsweek. And I just wanted to read you a quick passage from it. Uh, the headline here is exclusive Donald Trump followers targeted by FBI as 2024 election nears. And um, it says here, the challenge for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the primary federal agency charged with law enforcement, is to pursue and prevent what it calls domestic terrorism without direct reference to political parties or affiliations, even though the vast majority of its current, quote unquote, anti-government investigations are of Trump supporters, according to classified data obtained by Newsweek. And then there is a quote here and it says the FBI is in an almost impossible position. That's a a current FBI official who requested anonymity as they were leaking this info um, to discuss these uh, highly sensitive matters. The official said that the FBI is intent on stopping domestic terrorism and any repeat of the January uh, January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. But the Bureau must also preserve the constitutional right of all Americans to campaign, speak freely, and protest the government. By focusing on former President Trump and his MAGA, Make America Great Again, supporters, the official says the FBI runs the risk of provoking the very anti-government activists that the terrorism agencies hope to counter. And that's my point. They're stupid. (laughs) They're creating the problem when it doesn't even exist in order to solve it. I'm coming right back. It's Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the second hour of the program. If you want to join us, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, we've been talking about the news of the day. And um, one of those headlines is that Joe Manchin, uh, senator from West Virginia, will not be seeking re-election next year. And uh, I'm guessing that's because he's losing all his friends in the Democrat Party because they've gone so far to the left and they think that he's a, uh, you know, he's a, a, a Democrat version of a rhino. Right. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people speculate he might become the the independent, uh, the next independent senator. Uh, and honestly, I think you always need a handful of those, you know, that you can kind of count on to go one way or the other. Uh, but it seems like he's getting um, he's getting the short end of the stick here. So uh, farewell, Joe Manchin. Hopefully we get somebody else that is also um, somewhat reliable when it comes to, you know, making sense. Not that I agree with most of what he does. I don't. But uh, every now and again, he makes a a reasonable decision and votes with the Republicans. So uh, kudos to Manchin for that. And congratulations. Jill Stein, you remember her? She uh, runs for president every now and again. I think they call those perennial candidates. She's announced her 2024 presidential campaign. And uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced a resolution to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. And good, I'm glad she's done that. She's been calling for the impeachment of Biden for, I don't know, probably since 2020, 2021. And she uh, is calling for this. And I know that they've defunded his salary and they need to continue to do that. The the Republicans have to use the power they have, the power of the purse to to do what they've got to do. Otherwise, we're not doing anything. Right. And. And uh, while the media was saying, no, we don't have anybody that was embedded with uh, Hamas during those attacks. Well, guess what? CNN and the Associated Press have cut ties with the photographer that was revealed to be embedded with Hamas. That actually is a thing. And, you know, we look at everything that's going on, whether it's um, Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib um, doubling down on her comments from the river to the sea, saying it was unfair that she was uncensored. Uh, I mean, that she was censored, uh, censured because of um, what she said. Or we listen to Biden and his uh, his rhetoric about how great we're all doing, saying, oh, everybody's doing 37 percent better than they were in the pandemic. I got hairy legs and whatever other crazy stuff he's talking about. The reality is America's going through a tough time. And and just like uh, the country's going through a tough time, people go through tough times. And there's an article in NBC News, the headlines Feeling angry may help people achieve their goals, according to a new study. 
more than desire or amusement, anger could help people overcome challenges that get in the way of their ambitions. And I look at this and I think, you know, that might be why people um, actually make it out to the polls in certain elections, because they're angry, they're fed up, they're tired of hearing, you know, negative, negative reports about things that should be positive, right? Everybody just wants to make money, go on a couple of vacations a year, enjoy their families, enjoy life. And when the government gets in the way, whether it's through massive taxation or anything else, uh, like some of the things we talked about in the last hour, I feel people get angry. And when people get angry because they're, they're afraid to send their kid to second grade because of whatever, you know, my, my son might come back, my daughter, my daughter might come back, my son. Pe- people are, you know, I think there's more people than not, according to every survey I've seen, that don't support uh, this, this idea. You know, everybody likes to say, well, listen, you do what you got to do. If, as long as what you're doing doesn't affect me, I'm fine. But when it's their kid, they don't want it, right? And rightfully so. I don't think people should want their kid to go to school, K through three or beyond third grade, and be taught things that you learn in other places, primarily from your parents or however else your parents want to deal with that. Uh, I know my parents didn't send me to school to learn about the birds and the bees. They didn't send me to school to, to come home and say, hey, I'm a little boy or I'm a little girl. Right. Because that wasn't part of the conversation. They wanted to know what I was learning and if I was learning enough to be successful in life. But anger is what they're saying is what motivates a lot of people in their ambitions. And this is a study published um, just this week in the in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And again, it found that participants who completed a variety of challenging tasks in a state of anger performed better than participants who felt other emotions such as sadness, desire, or even amusement. And I guess, you know, it's like people double down on things when they get mad. They're just like, you know what, I'm I'm putting my mind to this. Uh, It's, you know, uh, get rich or die trying type of attitude. So I want to talk about that uh, with our guest because it's a fascinating topic to me. And Adam Butdorf is a, a certified human behaviorist, and he's the author of a couple of books, Uh, He wrote the book Resilience, Turning Your Setback into a Comeback. And he also wrote the book Success Habits of Super Achievers. And I want to welcome him to the program, Adam Butdorf. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Now, I want to get your take on this this study that was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology uh, regarding anger and how anger could be an effective motivator. What say you? You know, you even hit on a little bit of things that we associate good things with anger. Because most people, when they think of anger, they think, oh, it's all negative. But it actually, it can be a very, motiv- and a, a very motivating energy that you can funnel to good things. Like voting, right? You get angry about something, you're going to get out and vote and do something about it. Absolutely right. right. But also think about this. We train our athletes to use anger to push them to new heights physically all the time. I remember Michael Jordan interviewing, and every major player can do this, but Michael Jordan specifically, is, I used to think he would literally imagine people would talk about him or his mom to push him to push harder, to work harder. And how many stories have you heard about someone teasing somebody, they get angry, and they outperform um, in every area? But the study specifically right. went through taking it, hey, let's, let's channel that. We usually think about it for physical things like athletes or you know, put anger towards a workout because 
man, there's so much energy that is, is generated with anger. Most people say, let's just contain it. Let's just breathe through it. Don't have it. Well, th- those are good things. But actually, anger can really motivate the heck out of you to get some action done, do the difficult things. Not easy task. Now, you don't want to get angry and, and do menial tasks. That, that's not going to be as effective. It's the ones, the hard things, the difficult things. I call it uh, climbing over the proverbial wall or pushing through something really challenging. It is really a great energy to do that if you can learn to focus and channel it. You know, and what comes to mind for me, and perhaps it's trivial, but I, I, I tend to think of um, a lot of women when they uh, get out of a relationship, they break up with their boyfriend or whatever, they, they get angry. All right, they get angry, and next thing you know, they're in the gym, they get a new haircut, they buy a new dress, they're out on the town with their friends, it's girls' night out, and, and they're angry, but it's motivating them to move on and have a good time and get out there. And, and I think a lot of us do that, especially if we're at work and we, we're working on a project and we don't get the project we want or whatever it is, uh, you kind of get angry, but it motivates you to do better so you can you know, strive for the next one. So I, I agree with you, um, and I guess that's conventional wisdom. Um, why do you think they, they put this study together in the first place? I mean, to me, it sounds like it makes sense. But because, but think about it, because everybody talks about, well, happiness states and sadness. And what they wanted to understand is sadness actually kills your energy or motivation to get anything done. They said, okay, well, what about like just natural enjoyment or, you know, with no massive fluctuations anywhere, didn't get a whole lot done. But when you throw anger in there to channel that, and they've put certain figures in place that, to feel those emotions to, on difficult tasks, they got them done. And you're right. That breakup happens like, oh, I'm mad, so I'm going to do something about it. And so we want to train people and have people think about all the emotions you have are, are fantastic. It's about using them for your benefit, not your detriment. The Where anger really is a bad thing is when it's about relationships and you're taking it on someone else. You know, or kicking the proverbial dog, right? Those aren't healthy right. things. <laughs> we don't want to do that, but we're not because that's trying to stuff it. Versus not stuff it. Let's channel it. Let's focus it and use it for your good by getting yourself in shape. Someone calls you, man, you put on a little weight. You're like, what? You're offended. You're mad. Dad, gum, I'm gonna do something about it now. Right? Exactly. Good things. That's good. Sometimes you have to say it to yourself to motivate yourself to get things going. Yeah, I agree with that. At first, oftentimes we're a little bit bitter, but then it kind of pushes us to become better. Folks, yes. uh, we're on with Adam Butdorf. He is uh, the author of Resilience, Turning Your Setback into a Comeback. And he's also got a book called Success Habits of Super Achievers. And I want to talk about that because you mentioned Michael Jordan before. And I'd like to touch on that a little bit as well. So, uh, folks, stick with us. If you have a question, uh, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. 
All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We are on with Adam Butdorf. He's a certified human behaviorist, and uh, we also have a call from Rochester, Minnesota, KROC. Let's check in with John. Hey, John, you're on with Adam Butdorf and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. The question I have, well, I've got a degree in biomedical sciences and whatnot, and I know a little bit about psychology and working with the brain, but the question is, can emotion anger in any way raise the level of the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is the happy reward molecule to the brain, so you repeat a good thing? It's in, like, uh, methamphetamine and cocaine, they boost dopamine, sex boosts it, food boosts it. So if so, if, if, if the emotion anger does, in fact, cause a rise in neurotransmitter dopamine, would it not then be potentially addicting? All right, John, thank you. Adam Butdorf? Great question. So the question about being dopamine being addictive, the result of dopamine is accomplishing or a hit of, of results. If you take anger and channel it to get things done that you want to get done, that you struggle to get done, that's naturally going to get you the dopamine hit that you want. Same thing with we scroll social media and all those things. Give us that dopamine hit of satisfaction, of accomplishment, of feeling good. Could it be addicting? It could be. The long term, the same aspect, that's what you want. You want to be addicted to getting good results from what you want in your life and move in the right direction. So, good question. Thank you, John. And, you know, what's interesting about anger is uh, it does, in fact, release dopamine. And people can get hooked on that. And, and this is how you get people that are like rageaholics that become uh, addicted to anger, which uh, obviously is a, is a horrible habit. It's kind of like the dopamine triggers that uh, come from eating a cheeseburger, right? If you start feeding your, your dopamine with cheeseburgers, you end up getting really fat. I know that from personal experience. So uh, I think, you know, you, you have to definitely um, manage how you uh, trigger dopamine. But it really was a good question. And I want to talk a little bit about the uh, super, uh, let me make sure I say this accurately, the uh, success habits of super achievers. Um, in your work with this book, what, um, what were some of the takeaways? What were some of the success habits of the super achievers that you guys discussed? What we all went through is what were the specific habits that we each individually had that led to our results? And <clears throat> majority of those ran around, Rich, it was really around, mm -hmm. we're, we're creatures of habit, believe it or not. We don't like to think we are, but we are. And so a big part is how you start your day and how you finish your day. If I could just boil it down to that, your routine, how you start your day, defines kind of how your day is going to go. And also how you wrap the day up defines how your next day is going to start off. Those are the two, if, if I could just keep it super simple, those are the two key aspects of look at your morning routine and then look at your evening routine. A lot of people talk about and hear about, oh, morning routines are good, but you don't ever hear much about the evening routine and how to wind the day down. So starting the day right and end of the day right transforms every aspect of the day. And... For everybody that's listening, that's thinking, you know, I could, I want to become a super achiever. Um, and you just gave these two tidbits about routine. Uh, but if you had to give one concrete example of, of a new habit that people should uh, develop, 
um, in addition to, to the routine, what would that be? That would be start off every morning with whatever that looks like for you that makes you feel successful and feel good, whether it's making your bed, speaking affirmations, uh, drinking water, um, reading something um, spiritual and enlightening or contemplative, <clears throat> whatever those routines are that make you feel good about you, put those in place. And here's the key, Rich, is be consistent with that. Because when you do what you personally feel like is good for you, your self-worth goes up, your confidence goes up, and it shows through in every interaction you have, every aspect you're doing as far as work. And you, that over time does this thing called a compound effect and has massive success in your life. Outstanding. Now, for folks that want to get a copy of the book or keep up to speed with the work that you're doing or, uh, you know, workshops that you may be doing, how do they, um, how do they engage with you? Really easy. You can go on my website. It's todayschangeagent.com. So it's about making change a part of your life. So todayschangeagent.com. And more than happy to send anyone a copy of my book. And it, same, same website, todayschangeagent.org. Yes. Is it .org or .com? It's .com. .com. And if people want to follow you on social media, where do they go? You can follow me on LinkedIn. It's Adam Butorf on LinkedIn. It's probably okay. the best spot for me. And folks, that's Adam, last name, B-U-T-T-O-R-F-F, B-U-T-T-O-R-F-F. Adam Butorf, I want to thank you for being with us. I think this was a really interesting discussion on how we could channel anger and to turn it into something a little bit more positive. And uh, the, the idea of routine uh, for me was, was a big thing. I've always been very um, kind of disheveled, disorganized. I have ADHD, and I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, but uh, learning how to nail down routines, that worked for me. Uh, you know, I've had plenty of routines, like getting to work at 9 o'clock and things like that. Uh, those didn't always work for me. <laughs> when I came up with routines that actually did work for me, um, I, I saw success in that. So uh, I, can, I can affirm that what, you, what, you're, what you're selling is good stuff. So uh, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. And... Um, Hope you'll come back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, we'll continue our discussions uh, straight ahead. And um, if you miss any of the interviews that we have, make sure you go to the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Straight ahead, we're going to take it back to the Wild West and find out about the Dalton Gang, and uh, which was the last of the outlaws. Don't go anywhere. Familia, welcome back, amigos. When I was a kid, my dad was a fan of uh, what they called spaghetti westerns. And uh, I remember, you know, all the, the Clint Eastwood ones, you know, where especially the, uh, I think it was Good, the Bad, and the Ugly that had that, that great song when they had that little showdown at high noon where it's, uh, you know, I don't do it that well, but great, great, uh, great uh, memories as a kid watching the westerns. And I want to bring it back to the Wild West uh, because the the last of the outlaws uh, was the Dalton Gang, 
And uh, back in 1892, as I'm reading this, uh, they attempted their boldest and bloodiest bank heist yet. And I want to get the, the scoop on that from the author of the book, The Last Outlaws, The Desperate Final Days of the Dalton Gang. And Tom Clavin is the author of that book. It just came out, so you got to get a copy of it. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy listening uh, to, to this story because it, it, really, it really comes to life uh, in this book. Tom Clavin, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me on the program. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So uh, I, I want to get into this. Uh, I find these, these uh, stories fascinating because it, I feel like in many ways, like if we juxtapose it with today, we, we have a whole new set of outlaws, whether they're in politics or elsewhere. And uh, when you study the old outlaws, you kind of understand the new ones a little bit better. Now, what was the impetus for you writing this particular book? Well, a lot of times you come up with a story or you find a story and you hope that it's going to have a good ending or it's going to have something climactic the event that's going to really take the story to a new level. In this case, it was the opposite. I can't remember what I was looking for. I was sure I'm looking for something else. And I found the story of Coffeyville, Kansas in October 1892, where there was this, this Sam Peckinpah-like shootout. And it's like the ending of The Wild Bunch. This big shootout, which a whole town took on the Dalton gang. And I found it fascinating in the action-packed uh, scene that it was. And I said, i got to find out more about you know, what brought everybody together at this particular day in this particular time, this particular town. So that was the impetus for it, to do the research into what happened at Coffeyville, Kansas in 1892. And I started to backtrack into the Dalton gang, the Dalton family, and not just the Daltons, even though you know they're the ones in the subtitle, the Dalton gang, Desperate Final Days, but... Who were the lawmen that were involved? Who was the? Who was the, some of the other characters? Uh, the the hanging judge Isaac Parker. There's all these other characters that got involved. So I, I found as I did more research, the story started to tell itself with all these interesting characters. So let's talk about the Dalton gang. Uh, who they? Who you know their lineage and, and who who are they? Well, I'm glad you mentioned lineage because uh, the. After the Civil War, the two of the biggest or uh, most notorious gangs were the James Brothers and the Younger Brothers. And they actually rode together for a time and then robbed banks and trains uh, separately. And the Youngers were related to the Daltons. Uh, Mrs. Dalton, uh, the mother of all the Dalton kids, was uh, her maiden name was Younger. So there was, there was like this, this progression from after the Civil War to almost the end of the 1800s to the beginning of the 20th century of these outlaw gangs populated by brothers and the Daltons were the last, I used the term great loosely, the last great, uh, brother gangs of the, of the wild west. And so their, their story of, of who they were and, and why they did what they did. Uh, and actually had an older brother who was a deputy U S marshal, but a very respectable career as a lawman. The, the, the idea that some of these characters kept going back and forth across the line, you mentioned about politics today. How many times do we think that politicians go back and forth across the line? That was mm -hmm. the way it was with the outlaws in the 18, uh, 1880s and 1890s. They could be deputy marshals one, one week, and, and two weeks later they're robbing a bank. You know, as I'm listening to you, it, it, you, you talk about, um, you know, you've got brothers that are outlaws, and I'm thinking, um, you know, like Joe Biden and James Biden, right? It, it, it's so many juxtapositions that, that come to mind. So now you talked about the James brothers, you talked about uh, the Youngers, and, and now you have the Daltons. So tell us about the Daltons specifically. 
Well, the Dalton brothers, I think there were 15 Dalton children altogether, and I think seven or eight of them were, were, were brothers, were boys. And they they sort of represented the kind of the generation that grew up in the just before and during the Civil War. They grew up mostly in Kansas and in Missouri and in Oklahoma at a time when there was a lot of strife, you know, before the Civil War, there's bleeding Kansas. Some people might some of your listeners might know about uh, whether Kansas should be a free state, a slave state. And so they grew up in a very turbulent time where where outlaws and and bushwhackers and, and bandits were frequent occurrences, and, and, and so they, they didn't grow up with the greatest influence to be on the straight and narrow. Frank Dalton, the older, one of the older brothers, was trying to set an example by being a deputy marshal and by being a very good one and very respected one, and then trying to make an arrest. He was killed in a violent way, and that set the wrong example. The younger brothers said Bob and Grattan and, and Emmett and Bill. The younger brothers said, we know we're going to be if we're going to get killed, why not? Why do it being a lawman where you're poorly paid? Let's be bandits. Let's be outlaws. Let's make the big scores. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the Dalton gang. And again, these guys are either like cousins or nephews of Jesse James and his brother. Yes. The, the, the James Younger gang was one of the biggest gangs in the, in the post-Civil War era. And there was a direct family connection between the Daltons and them. So they, they almost felt like they were carrying on the family business. And it sounds kind of silly to say, but but they really believed that the outlawing was a family business, and they would, it was it was their turn to take over from the previous generation. Yeah, it's like the crime families from the uh, the Cosa Nostra. Yes, uh, exactly, exactly. It was the next generation. Let's let's, let's do what they did. And let's do it better. Uh, outstanding. I, I want to continue on this thread, and I want you to tell us a little bit how they they uh, put this um, their biggest and bloodiest uh, mm. bank heist yet together. Uh, we're going to take a quick pause, and I'm going to give the audience the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, you've heard of Jesse James and uh, his cousins wanted to outdo him uh, being uh, the, the best bank robbers in the family. And that, of course, with the Dalton brothers. And uh, this Dalton gang was something else. We're on with Tom Clavin. He's the author of The Last Outlaws, The Desperate Final Days of the Dalton Gang. And uh, Tom Clavin, tell us about what they set out to do to kind of beat the Jesse James record. Well, they had this idea that they were going to go to Coffeyville, Kansas, and rob two banks, which were across the street from each other, simultaneously in broad daylight. And you might think, well, what kind of crazy scheme was that? Who, who, who thought of that? Well, Bob Dalton, who was the brains of the, of the Dalton gang, which is not saying a lot, um, he, he wanted – I, I should point out that the Dalton gang was being sought after by all kinds of law enforcement. There was the Pinkerton Detective Agency. There was the – 
deputy marshals, there were sheriffs, there were town marshals, there was everybody and everybody got a badge was after the Dalton gang by this point. And the Daltons decided one big score, we can get out of here. Maybe even leave the country. Maybe we go to South America, but we need that one big score. And the big reason why they picked Coffeyville where they were familiar with the town, they grew up not far from it. But more importantly, in Coffeyville, I knew that this was a town that the Wild West had passed by. The Wild West was now in Arizona, New Mexico. Kansas was pretty peaceful by this point, and nobody carried guns in Coffeyville. Even the town marshal didn't carry a gun in, Co- in, in Coffeyville. So they figured they would just waltz in, take the money from two, two banks at the same time, and just ride right out again without being interfered with. And they did not anticipate what the reaction of the town citizens was going to be. Now, again, it's the, they didn't call it the Wild West for nothing, right? So uh, I'm supposing that, uh, like every good Western movie I've seen, there was, uh, there was some conflict, there was a shootout. Um, tell us how it goes in. These guys roll up in, in Coffeeville canvas to do this double heist in the middle of the day. And what are they met with? Well, they were met with, you know, I, I should point out that this is way before there was such a thing as FDIC in the banking industry. <laughs> right. If you, you got know. robbed, you lost your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the citizens of Coffeeville had these two banks and they put their money into these banks and if something happened to that money, you were out of luck. Uh, there was there was no other recourse. You couldn't petition to the federal government and say, I want to get reimbursed. No, your money was stolen. It was stolen for good, and you were out, out of that money. So the Dalton gang, which consisted of five members, three of whom were brothers, Grattan, Bob, and Emmett Dalton, they went into the into the two banks, and they, they robbed the banks. You know, they took what they could, filled up some sacks of, of, of gold coins and cash, whatever they could grab, some watches, things like that. They, they even robbed the poor, you know, customers that were in the bank at the time. And when they came outside, they expected to just walk over to where their horses were and ride out of town. What they did not, uh, did not see while this was going on is that the citizens of Coffeeville noticed that there were armed men in the bank. They could look through the windows and there's a, there's a guy with a Winchester. There's a guy with a pistol. What's going on? Oh, they're robbing the banks. Well, we can't let them go away with our money. Mm. So they did not possess guns themselves, but you know what did? The hardware stores. <laughs> so they, Good old days. By the, dozens, by the dozens, they raced into the hardware stores and started grabbing shotguns and pistols and rifles off the shelves and coming out, ammunition, obviously, come outside. And when the Daltons walked out of the banks, they suddenly realized that they were being surrounded by dozens of people with guns and the shooting started. So, I mean, it, it's just such a fascinating story. <laughs> so they go there to pull off this crazy heist that they probably could have planned a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old uh, Bob Dalton, not thinking too well here. And uh, they, they get into it and they leave. They're about to make their getaway to go off into the sunset. And they're met by the townspeople who don't have torches and pitchforks, but instead have shotguns. And they're ready to rock and roll. And I want to get into how this this plays out. But um, I want to take a quick pause and come right back. Folks, we're on with Tom Clavin. He is the author of The Last Outlaws, The Desperate Final Days of the Dalton Gang. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back to see how this thing ends up. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're discussing the book by Tom Clavin, The Outlaws, The Desperate Final Days of the Dalton Gang. And it's a fascinating story. And honestly, I see so many parallels to today. Um, you know, it feels like the Wild West was the, the precursor for modern day organized crime, modern day political corruption. Um, the thievery just seems the same to me. And uh, we have a caller from Wichita, Kansas on KQAM with a, a comment about Coffeeville. Let's go to Vernon in Wichita. Vernon, you're on with Tom Clavin and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, gentlemen. Um, I just wanted to comment that uh, I believe I talked with a gentleman when I was a teenager, and this was would have been in the uh, late 40s in Wichita. My grandmother rented a room to this old gentleman, and we were talking about Coffeeville because my family was from that area. And he, he told me, he said, well, I was out in the field working, and he said these men rode up on really fine horses, and they asked me something. I couldn't remember now what he told me they asked him, and uh, he, they rode off to Coffeeville, and he said, I didn't know who they were, but he said, I could say they had fine horses, and they carried a lot of guns. <laughs> and <laughs> in that time period, it was unusual, because, as Tom has said, no one carried a gun except the lawman, if they even did then. So I, I personally think uh, he had no reason to, to lie to me. Uh, it was just a conversation. I think he was the last person to speak to the Daltons before they talked to the other folks in town. That's my opinion. But Oh, thank you. Very no, much. I, I, I believe you. I, I, th- I think you're right. That's, that's a really good story. And if you don't mind me saying, I was just in Wichita last April. And I love Wichita, and, and a shout-out to the folks at Watermark Books there. It's a, it's a wonderful place, Wichita. But I think you're right. The, the Daltons came in from, from the country, and they, they talked to a couple of people along the way, and they wanted to make sure they were heading in the right direction to get into town, and the, the part of town that they wanted, because they wanted to make sure they showed up right where the banks were. They didn't want to end up at the other end of town. They wanted to show up where the banks were because they wanted to go, go in there to have a smooth operation, go in, go out. It, it turned out to be anything but a smooth operation. It's crazy how things play out. Vernon, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. And Tom Clavin, I want to make sure that we um, give uh, the story its due. So we leave off with with the <laughs> Dalton gang, and we got about three and a half minutes to wrap it up. But uh, okay. the Dalton gang is is in the bank. They're exiting the bank. They come out to the townspeople that are meeting them with shotguns and pistols. And uh, how does this thing play out? Well, not very well for the Dalton gang, as you can imagine, with all this firepower arrayed against them. They, they probably, the smart thing would have been done, done to say, okay, gosh, we didn't expect this. We surrender, but they didn't. They you know, just shoot their way out. And one by one, they were killed. And they killed other people. I should point out that there were, you know, eight deaths in this shootout. And some of them were citizens of Coffeeville. Uh, but uh, mm. the, 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 brother, the Dalton brothers, Bob, was killed. Uh, uh, oh, the brain's killed. behind the operation. The brain, yes, I know. <laughs> Smart guy. So, so, so there's some justice to that there. And uh, the other, uh, Bill Power and, and Dick Broadwell were killed. Emmett Dalton was the only one who survived this tremendous shootout. And I, I devote several chapters to it because there's so many details that are fascinating about this, this mass shootout involving the, ba- the, 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 the bandits and the citizenry. 
But Emmett Dalton survived, even though he had been shot 23 times. <laughs> and, and he wow. was the youngest of the Daltons, and he survived. He ended up doing 14 years in prison, and then afterwards he came out and became a very successful Los Angeles real estate speculator and movie producer. <laughs> Different Both kind of figured. bandit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> More modern day. Now, yes. <laughs> Tom Clavin, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Well, I, I do encourage people to go to their local bookstores. I'm a big supporter of independent bookstores, and if that's not possible, uh, there's Barnes & Noble and the other chains, and, of course, Amazon and BNN.com. And if anybody wants to see what else I've done lately, Tom Clavin, T-O-M-C-L-A-V-I-N.com. And what else are you working on, Tom? Well, Bob Drury and I have done several books together. We did Blood and Treasure that was about Daniel Boone a couple of years ago, and we have a book that's coming out next spring called uh, Throne of Grace about the, the explorer Jedediah Smith and his mountain man travels across America in the 1820s and 1830s. That's, that's next in the shoot, and I hope people will enjoy that. Outstanding. And, again, your website is TomClavin.com, T-O-M-C-L-A-V-I-N.com. Tom Clavin, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I really thank you for staying up late and uh, telling us all about this because it's a fascinating story. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. You bet. All right, folks, uh, more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America is uh, coming our way momentarily. I'll give you the phone number for that. You could start getting your calls in. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number. And, of course, if you want to hear this uh, interview again or if you want to hear the Dinesh D'Souza interview again, any of the interviews that you hear that you enjoy, uh, always go to the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, and you can hear them all for free. And if you like them, um, you can just sign up for the podcast. That's free as well. Just click the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you use. Um, I use Apple. I know a lot of people use um, Spotify and, and the other ones. There's, there's plenty. There's Google Podcasts. There's, there's plenty of ways to subscribe. And the, the beauty of the subscription is just that you may forget that you want to listen to it, and it'll remind you when there's a new episode. So I think that's always, uh, always fun on the podcast that I listen to. And, again, the website for that is richvaldezamericaatnight.com. All right, folks, straight ahead, it's uh, you and me, one-on-one, talking about everything going on in America at night. Uh, We're going to discuss the news of the day, some of the topics that we've discussed this evening as well. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Open Phone America starts right now. I'm Rich Valdez. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. 
And uh, welcome. It's hour number three. If you want to give us a call, feel free. It's Open Phone America. That's what we call hour number three here, where we talk with people from all over the country and sometimes all over the world. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, yesterday there was a story, and I think I mentioned it, uh, which was the uh, news outlets uh, deny having any prior knowledge of the October 7th attack. Uh, and that was because they were being criticized for having photographers embedded with Hamas, right? So CNN, the New York Times, the Associated Press, and Reuters said they had no prior knowledge of the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel after the Israeli government um, criticized them for having these freelance photographers embedded with the terrorist group. Uh, CNN and the Associated Press said that they are no longer working with the freelance photographer, uh, Hassan Eslaya, E-S-L-A-I-A-H, Eslaya, Eslaya, I don't know. Anyway, um, and um, the um, company Honest Reporting monitors media bias against Israel posted photos and videos of Mr. Eslaya. The images included one of Eslaya with Hamas leader Yaha Sinwar and another one where they said uh, that was taken after Eslaya crossed into Israel and took photos of a burning Israeli tank. So lots going on right there uh, with that. And uh, listen, I mean, journalists are journalists and they, they're embedded and they're war reporters and I get that. Right. They, they stay far enough away. Um, but uh, this one seemed like, you know, you were going on an ambush. This wasn't like uh, an active war zone. It became an active war zone. Uh, maybe I'm looking at that the wrong way, but it seems to me like that's the case. You know, I tend to try to play things uh, on the safe side. Uh, call me conservative, if you will. Anyway, that's that story. Uh, so we'll, we'll touch on that. There was also a story I wanted to mention here. Let me see if I closed it. Um, yeah, we won't do that one right now. There was another one here. Hold on, hold on. Eight more people uh, have been subpoenaed to testify before uh, James Comer and the Oversight Committee. That should uh, turn out to to be an interesting day of events with some good audio that we could play for you guys. And um, let me see who was hitting the head by a string. Oh, man, that's a horrible story. I'm not doing that one. All right, we'll, we'll stay on that. Oh, I know which one it was. It was the story about 200 people being uh, molested by priests in Spain. This is from like two weeks ago. It's been on my desk for, for, for days, and I've been meaning to get to it. And I just think, man, what a horrible, horrible uh, set of events there. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but right now, I want to go to the phones because there's a ton of people on hold and I want to make sure that we get to everybody. We've got calls from Idaho, from Florida, from Michigan, uh, from, let me see, what's the Philippines. You know, that's always my favorite. Let's go to Gil in Manila, the Philippines. Gil, welcome. Hello. I, I want to congratulate you on you doing so well. Oh, thank the you. Show. I'm, sure, I'm sure Kevin Delaney just beams from... Ear to ear, when he sees your new numbers, you're doing great. 
Right. Yeah, well, thank you. It's funny. Yesterday, I had a video call with Kevin Delaney, and it was a very, uh, it, he was beaming from ear to ear, and we were talking about the, the numbers, <laughs> which is interesting. He, he's a very nice guy, and I'll tell him that you said hi, although he's probably listening because, you know, he's got the coolest job in the world where, you know, he gets paid to listen to talk radio, right? I thought getting paid to do talk radio was the coolest job in the world, but listening is even easier, you know? Anyway, Gil, what's on your mind? Well, First of all, I don't feel very special anymore. You have another caller from the Philippines, but that's because of you. That's life. That's life. <laughs> uh, right. It's competition. Anyhow, it's a free market. Uh, tomorrow uh, at this time, I'll be at our Veterans Day ceremony here. Manila is the site of the largest United States uh, World War II cemetery outside of the United States. There are about 19,000 burials here and a uh, memorial wall of the missing in action that's another 35,000. So it's it's quite a place. And we have a ceremony there every year at uh, Memorial Day and uh, Veterans Day. And even though I'm confined to a wheelchair, I'm going to be there. I'm going to get to sing the Star Spangled Banner and salute the flag and uh you know it's great when you can be so far from home and get to do things like that amen to that uh, and i want to thank you for your service gil and uh, make sure you tune in if you can uh to the show tomorrow because we'll be doing uh an ode to veterans all across america of course uh my late great predecessor jim bohannon was a veteran and was fond of the veterans and we'll continue that tradition here as well uh and, of course, this yeah, well, weekend, I just want to mention this, Gil, because I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, this weekend on well, the 12th we of November, the uh, one-year anniversary of the passing of Jim Bohannon. So um, we'll be uh, mentioning a little bit more on that on tomorrow's episode. Gil, go right ahead. Yeah, on the 12th, I think it is, yes. Um, but... Um, I just wanted to talk about anti-Semitism for a second, if I might. Sure. Uh, we don't have any of that here. Um, my wife is Seventh-day Adventist, and they adhere to the uh, strict uh, code of Orthodox Judaism. Mm-hmm. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. You don't eat uh, any kind of pork products or all of the other things from... Uh, from the Old Testament. And the Adventists here refer to themselves as Jewish. So, as I, as I tell yeah. my, uh, my friends back in the States, I married a nice Jewish girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's always an interesting um, uh, point for, for a lot of people. Because, uh, you know, when it comes to think of it, whether you're Catholic or evangelical or some other Protestant uh, form of Christianity, the bottom line is everybody is following the teachings of a Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And it, it's it's interesting how, it, you know, th- there's this view that it's that much different. And it's not quite that different, although there are differences. So um, what does this um, celebration entail? Is it at the cemetery or is it separate? Uh, 
it's at the cemetery. The uh, well, there's a large area where they hold ceremonies like this. Um, it's been here, uh, I think, since 1948 when they they re- it was a cemetery before they removed the graves that were there and moved them to another U.S. cemetery and dedicated this space exclusively to uh, uh, World War II dead. And um, like I said, it's the largest in the world. Nothing in Europe is anything to rival it as far as size and and magnitude. Uh, You have your search engine there. You can just pull it right up and have a look. It's quite a spot. I will. So, uh, and again, thank you for your um, your um, your honor and commitment and service to the country, and of course your loyalty to the program. I always appreciate it. I wish you a very happy Veterans Day, um, a solemn Veterans Day, uh, and a uh, peaceful Veterans Day. If I don't uh, speak with you again until after the fact, thank you, Gil. I appreciate it. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And I'm looking at a story here, USA Today, I believe, yeah. So this guy was working on a high-voltage wire and got electrocuted. It destroyed his face. Well, doctors just gave him a new face, and he also got an eye transplant. Aaron James is working on a high-voltage wire. He's a lineman back in June of 21 when his face touched a live wire. 7,200 volts of electricity coursed through his body, costing him his left eye and much of the arm that reached up to try and protect it. It also burned his nose, lips, cheek, and chin down to the bone. Badly disfigured, the military veteran from Hot Springs, Arkansas, couldn't taste, smell, or even eat solid food. In May, Mr. James, who's now 46, it's a year older than me, He underwent surgery at NYU Langone Health, New York City, baby, to replace the tissue on his face and give him a new left eye. More than 45 people have received a face transplant globally since 2021. That's not a lot of people. But James is the first one to receive an eye along with a new face. It's not yet clear whether the new eye, which comes from the same donor as the rest of the face, will ever allow him to actually see, but it appears to be healthy so far. The team hoped that the transplant would provide a cosmetic improvement and that the eye might work. On Thursday, today, James and his doctors 
uh, shared a story publicly for the first time, and they talked about his injury, uh, his donor, and the efforts to give him back a normal life. Yeah, I tell you, this guy looks like a million bucks. I'm looking at a picture here. He's got a scar across his face, but it, it looks like it's his face. I, mean, I don't know what he looked like before, but uh, it doesn't look bad from, from this angle. Uh, Mr. James said the surgery has definitely restored his self-confidence, saying, quote, since the transplant, I tell people that I can't walk past a mirror without looking at it. You and me both, sir. And uh, he says it makes him stand up taller. Well, Godspeed to him. This is a great story. Uh, five months after the surgery, James is healing really well. His doctor, Eduardo Rodriguez, the director of face transplants at um, NYU Langone, led the process. He says he can't see out of the transplanted eye just yet and may never, but he can eat smell and taste again he's speaking more normally and is no longer hooked up to tubes or machines wow that's fantastic the surgery uh was let's see 21 hours in length and they did it over labor day in may 14 person medical team working across two operating rooms uh and they had to do 15 full-scale rehearsals over three months including a 3d printed replica of mr james's body to help the entire team understand exactly what they needed to do. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez credited the team and their success with the months of planning and dedication to Mr. James's personality and his uh, family's unwavering support as well. Let me tell you, this is uh, fantastic. Look at this guy. I mean, he, you know, he looks like a burn victim almost, you know, like you could tell there's some disfigurement, but uh, nothing like being burnt down to the bone. I mean, wow. Absolutely uh, miraculous. So if you've got a story even remotely close to this, give us a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. I, I actually, in my personal life, have never met anybody that has had like a face transplant or something like that. And uh, I'm just fascinated by, by the concept. I think it's, uh, it's amazing the things that we can do. Um, and I want to go to the, uh, the phones. Let's go to the calls. Let's see. What do we got here? Um, Eduardo, Tampa, Florida, listening uh, to Rich Valdez, com. Go right ahead. Yeah, thank you, Rich. I wanted to bring up a couple of things. First, uh, Samantha Waugh, she's a Detroit synagogue leader. They have a suspect in custody, uh, but they don't want to name him. And keep in mind that Dearborn, Michigan has a high Muslim population. So we'll see what happens with that. And the second thing I want to bring up is the migrants over there. Uh, Wednesday, President Biden gave $12 million to Costa Rica. Uh, in one week, there was 14,000 migrants from Panama to Costa Rica. So you got a couple of countries over there that are busing uh, these migrants up north. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need congressional hearings on. Well, you know, and they've actually had some and, and they've talked about this. Um, everybody, Panama is the staging area. And Panama's no longer like, you know, the canal zone's not under U.S. control anymore. It's um, run by China. China. And it, it's just, uh, I mean, this thing is clockwork, right? The, the way they've got this thing operating, it's 
clockwork. They send everybody to the same place. They come across the border in the same place, right where they're coming across the border. The Biden administration has directed the Border Patrol to open up fences, cut holes in fences, open up um, emergency doors. They're doing everything they can to let them right in, labeling them as asylum seekers, even though legally they don't qualify for asylum. But once they say they're asylum seekers, they get them on this app, CBP-1. They say, all right, here's your court date. They don't get uh, ankle bracelets. They don't really even get processed. And it's kind of like, hey, listen, you're going to come back for court, right? And they go, yeah, yeah, I'll be back. And then they leave. And the ones that run away are the gotaways. And we got to ask yourself, why are they running away? Obviously, they're running away because they don't want to report. And they don't want to get the free services that they get when they arrive, whether it's free medical care, the, the debit card with the money on it, the cell phone, the little care pack that they get. I mean, they set them up for success. I, I, I oftentimes think, you know, obviously, at least in my family, nobody, my first cell phone, I had to buy it. And, you know, back then it was really expensive. And uh, my kids, same thing. I bought them their first cell phones and then they had to buy their subsequent cell phones. But uh, everybody, you know, in my family were buying cell phones. And listen, I, I believe in, in give me your tired, your, your poor, and, and giving a, uh, a hand up. I really do. But w- w- clearly, we're so far beyond the point of trying to help someone when we're hurting our own country. And you see big cities that were once very liberal and still are, um, but these big city mayors uh, that are crying poverty, saying, look, we can't do it. We're overrun. We're this, we're that. We can't afford this, and we can't afford that. So it's uh, it's an unfortunate uh, chain of events that's happening. But Biden and his gang, they know exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. And uh, again, it's very uh, it's unsettling, to say the least. Now, with with respect to the other thing, this Gregory Yetman uh, was never arrested after the Capitol riot. And now there's an FBI search underway. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. I don't know much about that story. I'm taking a look at one of the uh, updates on it right now. Um, we'll see what's going on with that. Anyway, folks, we're coming right back. Eduardo, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. hope you'll call back again. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We continue with your calls and more right after this. Welcome back, and uh, we continue with your calls this evening. Uh, lots of uh, lots of discussion on lots of different topics. Uh, Kim Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA online. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Hey. Um, I'm calling, and it's a good show tonight. And thank you. Uh, I'm calling in about. Greg, Gregory Yetman from New Jersey. This man was in the military. He was a, a sergeant in active duty military. Then he was a captain in the National Guard. He was at January 6th. And what he apparently did is he picked up a can of 
mace or bear spray that somebody dropped on the ground, and they say he sprayed it towards police and probably other people, regular people. And that's that why he's there. on the FBI's but, most wanted list? Yeah, and they got dogs and helicopters. He's been um, he, he must be terrified because he picked up a can of bear spray at January's. He didn't murder anybody. You know, I, this poor man, all he did is that most of his life has served his country and the FBI has unleashed on him. They've got drones and helicopters and they're searching the better part of New Jersey. And can I say something else? Sure. Okay. Um, about this, um, about CNN embedding themselves um, in in um, October seventh over mm-hmm. in Israel, um, they also embedded themselves in um, January sixth. Um, uh, a young guy who was a BLM guy, I think he was from Utah. His name was John something. Um, he was standing next to Ashley Babbitt, and he had a young female journalist, I believe from CNN, but I'm not sure, tagging along with him. So a lot of these journalists know about this stuff ahead of time. What do you think? Yeah, um, yeah, of course. They're all tipped off. Uh, I don't know if you remember when we had Roger Stone on here talking about the raid on him. And he said the first thing he saw was CNN. <laughs> so the FBI saw CNN. Uh, it, it seems, you know, when people are trying to get a story out there, they'll do anything. And look, I'm not afraid against anybody getting a scoop. Get a scoop. Um, and, and and I realize, you know, again, if you're, uh, you know, um, somebody else that we've had on this program, Greg Kelly, right? Greg Kelly's a radio guy. He's got a, uh, a TV show on Newsmax. He's terrific. Uh, but he used to be a, a morning news guy. And for some years, he was an embedded reporter in in uh, Afghanistan. And, you know, he'd have a helmet on and a bulletproof vest and he was, you know, right outside of a war zone and, you know, giving his his reports. And I I tend to think, you know, that that's a part of this. Right. It's a part of how this works. But when you have this one guy that's embedded and he's taking pictures with the the leaders of Hamas, him and those people, you know, I can't remember the last time a media person ever came to me and said, hey, I'm going to interview you. All right. We did the interview and then said, hey, do you mind if I get a selfie with you? You know, um, who? Right. And get a kiss on the cheek. Who does that? Right. I mean, if you're there to take pictures, take pictures. You don't have to sit there and make out with the guy. That's just crazy to me. And I think that the whole thing is just crazy. So clearly he at least from the circumstantial evidence that I see and I hear, it seems like this guy was Hamas posing as a journalist. And and that's the part that's very tricky. And I'm sure that's why CNN let him go, because who does that? That's just not how it works. Imagine you're at your wedding. Right. And, you know, it's customary to to feed the the wedding photographer and the rest of the people. I get that. But do you invite the photographer of your wedding into your wedding photos? No, of course not. Giving a kiss on the cheek. And again, that could be a cultural thing. And that's fine. Uh, We do that in my family. But again, we do it the family. You know, I don't necessarily uh, kiss uh, the leaders of terrorists on the cheek of terrorist organizations. So I think that that whole part of it is crazy. And this thing with Yetman. Um, it, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. It smells very fishy. Um, the fact that there's there's a lot of people that they didn't find and didn't go after, and all of a sudden they want to go over uh, go after this guy. I don't see uh, how this is making sense to me just yet. So I'm sure there's a little bit of backstory here. Maybe I'm not reading between the lines well enough, but it doesn't seem very legit to me. Uh, this this whole manhunt on this guy. 
Um, I don't know what, what their purpose in doing it is, but I don't take them at their word, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, Kim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We go to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And something I wanted to share quickly uh, was this um, this story here. Hang on. Bear with me. Slow screen. Four more attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East since the strike on the weapons depot. Um, obviously, Iran is saying, F you, America, F you, Biden. They don't care. They don't care. You know why? Because we're not doing anything. Shooting their missile supply is not the same as them attacking troops. That now you have, I don't know, more than two dozen U.S. soldiers that have brain injuries. Traumatic brain injuries. That's serious stuff. TBIs are life-altering. You don't think the same. You know, I mentioned it time and again on this program, but I watched my dad go through that in his... uh, I don't know, I guess he was late 60s, early 70s when that happened. And it, it was, again, life-altering. He literally, his memory reverted to 1974, and it happened in 2007. Guess what? Guess who wasn't around in 1974? Me. He totally didn't remember me as one of his kids. Um, so talk about life-altering. I was his favorite son. <laughs> so, you know, you look at that and you say, man, that's just part of the experience. He didn't know how to tie his shoes. He had to relearn how to tie his shoes. He had to relearn how to say certain words. He had to relearn how to walk. It was it was a, a really just a remarkable experience uh, to see him heal. And it took a long time. And to think that yet we have so many of our troops that are now uh, afflicted by TBI and Biden's answer is we're going to blow up their their weapons depot. Obviously, the weapons that they you know took through the back door that he left behind in Afghanistan. And, and to me, the whole thing is just it's weak. It's more weakness from Biden. Um, we have to step up. If we don't step up, where how do we end up? What do we do? Right? We're going to lose. We're going to be screwed. Uh, no wonder his his uh, polling, uh, his ratings, or his um, disapproval. Is, is shooting up. I mean, how could it not? Anyway, we continue with your calls. Uh, I want to go to, let's see here. Uh, let's go to um, Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Check in with our buddy Paulie. What's up, my man? 
Just kicking back, listening to your show, enjoying myself, having a good time. Amen to Getting that, brother. Something informative. Something, something to make me think about. You always have good topics. Oh, thank you, um, brother. I have a question. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I, I just, I had a, um, a question for you in regards to Homeland Security and Mayorkas. I thought I heard you earlier say that he was going to be impeached or try to impeach him. Yeah, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced a resolution for that. I don't know if it'll get out of committee and if it'll actually happen. Uh, there's been several pushes to try to impeach him, and they haven't happened yet. I don't see why. I think we should be able to to, to pull that off. Uh, I feel like people are being slow uh, to to do that for whatever reason. Um, there's probably a, a, a rhyme to it. Uh, at least I'm being generous in saying there's probably a, a, a rhyme and reason to it, but uh, there may not be, right? It just could just be um, they don't want to rock the boat. I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot that Republicans can be doing, and I don't want to be overly critical and say, oh, they're a bunch of spineless sissies and wusses, and they might be. But uh, it seems to me like they're trying to be methodical, trying to win over the rest of the American people that aren't as bloodthirsty as I am uh, to see, you know, people pay the price for certain things. So I don't know. I don't know. Now, did you have a question about the Brennan Clapper commission? Yeah, that that was the second half of the question. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? It, it just came on TV with a quick blurb about two months ago, and that's all I heard. Yeah, at the end of September, I know that um, the Republicans have made a, a push to defund this new intelligence experts group. Uh, and I, I don't know the outcome of it as of yet, but I know they wanted to bring back uh, Clapper and Brennan as experts on this. And obviously this is insanity. And, you know, when you start to look at these things, and I'm so glad you brought this up. This is ultimately how it's not just Washington that works that way. It's literally it's organized crime. It's the only way I could explain it. Uh, if you care to use this juxtaposition as an analogy. Right. So, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and there were private sanitation, public sanitation, the police department, everybody there. There was. I'm going to use the word mafia, and it wasn't all real mafia, but there was a mafia uh, that controlled all of these these um, industries, if you will, right? If you wanted to be a cop um, during my time as a, as a, as a kid uh, in the 80s growing up, all, all of the brass, all of the head honchos, everybody was Irish. That's just how it worked. So they brought their guys in, and that had been like that for decades and decades um at the time the italian mob had gotten out of the san private sanitation business and um the russians in brighton beach had kind of taken over um italians had gotten out of the pizzeria business and albanians were taking over and the point is they they always they take over the industry they want to control right that's just how it worked and uh, and I'm not saying that Irish people in the police department are, are bad guys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's just the nature of how things work when you're when you're exerting influence. And this is exactly what this is. Bringing Clapper and Brennan back, it's for them to be able to guide and direct the direction of things, to throw them off the trail if anybody's hot on the trail of something that could be detrimental. 
and uh, to, uh, you know, I'm going to speculate and say a previous bribe or some work product that they created that they don't want to see tampered with. But that is literally the, the consequence of having elections and having a new administration and going in a different direction. So uh, bringing Clapper and Brennan back are, in my opinion, just another way to have the deep state have influence, to have some more control. In, in a perfect world, you would say, oh, we've got the former CIA director and the former DNI, uh, super. But it's not really super, right? It's, it's really these guys are, are proven to be um, sellouts, if you will, and they're there to continue the sabotage. It's same playbook time and time again. And uh, they want to use their police state powers to continue screwing us over in one way or another. At least that's my take. Paul, thank you for your call. Uh, let us continue here. Let me see where we go from here. Let's go to Matt, Moorhead City, North Carolina, 80 miles north. Go right ahead, WTKF. Hello, Rich. Nice, nice to talk to you today. Likewise, bro. Um, first of all, I'll make this real quick because I'm an editor. Biden is a bumbling, fumbling, stumbling idiot. No Joe El Baboso Biden. Yes, sir. And number two, quickly, um, Gil from the Philippines is a great caller. I've heard him for years. Yeah. And yes. number three, my local station has no business knocking off good shows like yours, preempting them for some stupid thing they call football. No offense to football fans, <laughs> but I mean, I'm, a, I'm vice president of a construction company. I don't care about football. No offense to anybody. Listen, brother, um, that's music to my ears. I've been saying that stuff for years. And uh, uh, let them know. You should write, call, email, let your local station know what you want to hear. Oftentimes they just do that for revenue because, you know, somebody's paying somewhere. And uh, people, you know, like football. But, uh, yeah, I hate that. I used to be on in Philly. And I'll tell you, in Philly, every time the Phillies played or the Eagles played, always messed up my show. Always. And I, I, you know, I began to resent them. And I still do in a way. If I hear Phillies or the Eagles, I'm like, ah, I'm good. (laughs) And I might have otherwise liked those teams, uh, even though I'm a New York guy. But uh, no, I'm I'm not messing with those guys. Why? Because they knocked me off the air one, three, many times, right? I had so many important things to talk about. I I, I needed to listen to the sound of my own voice. And they interrupted that. But Matt, yeah, I I appreciate it. And, you know, I know you... um, you had a comment about Biden's response to U.S. bases, and I agree with you. I think it's a very lame response. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it's going to hurt more Americans. You mark my words. Matt, big shout-out to you and WTKF. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We wrap up with your calls right now. We're going to Kansas, then to Illinois, then to New York. Marianne, Emporia, Kansas, KVOE. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, Emporia is the founding city of Veterans Day. Uh, We were instrumental in changing it from 
Armistice Day to All Veterans Day. Uh, all week long, we have activities for veterans, a uh, big parade. In our emporium, in the Main Street, we have banners. Uh, you can buy a banner and hang your a picture of your service uh, man or woman. And it, they're all down our Main Street. Uh, we have a big parade on Saturday. Uh, and various other activities. And one of our local high schools has just returned from uh, an honor flight of taking veterans up to Washington, D.C. Wow, so, that's really cool because, you know, I think there's not enough um, civic engagement with young people. So it's great that the high school is getting involved and, and dedicating that effort. And I just wanted to let you know, Marianne, and everybody that's listening that we're dedicating our show tomorrow to um, to veterans um, because, you know, I think they should get more than a day. And obviously on this program, we, we do a lot more than one day per year. But uh, on their day, I want to make sure that we honor them. And anybody has a, a call uh, or a story they want to share about a veteran in their family, please do. Marianne, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Kansas KVOE. And uh, speaking of veterans, I wanted to um, share. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see how much time do we have. Well, we won't have time for Jim and Linda. I'm sorry about that. Um, I really was looking forward to speaking with you guys about the cops in January 6th and about the Jamal, Jamal Bowman case. But I do have to make a mention of something. Earlier today, I was uh, in uh, Westchester County, New York, at a funeral at a at a wake for uh, a great man, somebody I, I had not met personally, but uh, I know his son, another great man, somebody I respect and, and have a lot of love for. And uh, I just want to dedicate tonight's program uh, to the memory of Thomas Patrick Samantha uh, from Pat Samantha Plumbing and Heating, uh, a great man who, who lived a full life and gone too soon. But, we honor him. We honor him. We honor his memory. And uh, we'll continue to honor the memories of those that are fallen and those that are still with us on our Veterans Day show tomorrow. So make sure you don't miss that. All right, folks, the music means they're kicking me out of here. Uh, but you can keep it locked right here on this station for more programming to follow. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez, and we'll do it all again tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.